Well, good morning. Welcome. Welcome. I am um, every week. I read a lot of commentaries. I also read the Bible, obviously, planning for the, the message. Uh, I listen to some sermons, usually, from different guys that I respect and admire. I watch some videos, because I'm a millennial, and that's how we learn on the internet. Um, I read a lot this week, a lot, because I think the, the fake news headline that we're going to tackle today, God just wants me to be happy, is probably one of the biggest lies that Satan sows among our culture. So we're going to talk about that this week. It's one of the most pivotal lies, I think, that, that just is spread throughout all of the culture. And I'm a little bummed that we're only spending one Sunday on it. I have way more content than I could ever get through in about 30 minutes. And so to alleviate some of that pressure off of myself, I'm going to resource you like crazy this morning. The one way I'm going to do that is I got a book here called 60 Days of Happiness, it's a, it's a daily devotional by Randy Alcorn. I'm going to give this to somebody. Who wants it? Who struggles to be happy and would like to, you know, now you're, I mean, you're going to raise your hands like, I'm depressed. No one wants to admit that, right? <laughs> well, come see me after church. The only requirement for you to have this book is that you promise to read it and to spend time in it. So, so, so come see me. I only bought one because it's like 10 or 13 bucks on Amazon, but phenomenal resource. He has a 400-page book on happiness that I didn't think any one of y'all wanted to read, so I got the devotional instead, which is kind of a condensed version. You're welcome. So you can look that up. Also on our website, I'm going to link to a lot of the sermons that I listened to, some from Keller, Tim Keller, John Piper, J.D. Greer, a guy named Joby Martin, all kinds of stuff. And I'm doing this because every one of you, myself included, wants to be happy. We want to be happy. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually how we were wired. The problem is we stink at finding it. So this is a big deal. So I want to resource you with podcasts and resources and books that can help you in your search for happiness. Because like it or not, you're looking for it. And so am I. So I want to help you find it. And so does God. So we're going to spend the morning looking at that together. Come see me afterwards. First come, first serve. And uh, I guess we could have like a battle royale if two of you want it or something. <laughs> or not. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I'm just joking, guys. But one of the sermons I listened to this week was from a guy named Joby Martin. Joby Martin, he's a southern fella, thick, thick southern accent. He's a great preacher. You should check him out. But in his sermon on happiness, he said that he, he heard of a survey that was done a while ago that they went through culture all across the globe, and they sur surveyed mothers. They went and they talked to mothers from everywhere around the world. And they said, what do you want most for your children? What's your deepest desire for your kids? And they went to Israel. They talked to a, a Jewish mama. And apparently, Jewish mothers are predominantly concerned. Their, their main desire for their kids is that their kids would be obedient. They'd be obedient to their parents and obedient to the Lord. It's a good Jewish mom, right? They went to Asia. It's a big continent. They talked to Asian mothers, and you probably won't be, just be surprised to hear that what Asian mothers want most for their kids, they want their kids to be successful. Their biggest hope is that their kids will make something of themselves and bring honor to the family. Now, the little that I know about Asian culture, honor and shame is a big deal. That makes sense. That makes sense. Asian mamas want their kids to be successful, want them to bring honor to their family. What about American moms? 
Anybody have any idea what American mothers say when surveyed? They want most for their children. When American mothers were asked, what is it that you want most for your kids? American moms said that their deepest desire was that their children grow up to be happy. Happy. They want their children to be happy. Now, is that a bad desire for your kids? Well, we can't say yes, and we can't say no. We have to say it depends. It depends. It depends on what makes your child happy. What if you say, all I want for my children, for my child, is for him or her to be happy? What if what makes them happy is that they stay four years old for the rest of their life? <laughs> right? We're right there. We're in that season. We have toddlers, three of them. And I say children are a blessing, but the toddler stage, they are life suckers right now. They just are. And it's a season I know, I know we're going to get through it. But what if what makes your child happy is they're going to play video games for the rest of your life, live in your basement, be a toddler, make sure that you and dad are the butler for the rest of your life. What if that's what makes them happy? Do you desire that for your kid? Of course you don't. No parent wants that. And that's why it's dangerous to say all I want for my child is for them to be happy. We don't mean that. What we mean when we say that as parents is hopefully we're shaping their wants and their desires so that what they want, so that what will make them happy will also make them productive citizens and help them get out of your house and live on their own someday, right? So happiness is not a bad goal. It's, it's part of the equation. But to say, all I want for my children is to be happy, that's a problem. That's a problem for the reasons that I illustrated. And I want that to be our framework as we, as we go through this discussion this morning. Just let that metaphor sit with you. You're a parent. You love your children. You want them to be happy, yes. But I hope that is not all that you want for them. And that's why the, the fake news headline that we're tackling today is fake news. God just wants me to be happy. It's certainly... He wants that for us, but that's not all he wants for us. Now, before I move into the, all that, let me just say along with Wes and Caleb, a, a big thank you to all the moms here today. I hope that your children have moved beyond the four-year-old stage and are progressing into adulthood quite well. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for bringing us into the world in a very real way if it wasn't for our moms we wouldn't exist because they chose to carry us to term and have us and make all the sacrifices they do to clean diapers and worry about us and make sure we have lunches at school and every crazy thing that moms do for us. So I just want to say thank you to all the moms out there. Thanks. We appreciate you. I know we don't say it enough, but thank you. Thank you for caring about our happiness as well. That is not a bad desire. That is not a bad desire. It's actually a God desire. I think happiness gets kind of a bad rap. For the last, I, I was trying to figure this out. For the last 15 or 20 years, happiness has gotten kind of this bad rap from preachers, right? It's like, Christians, you shouldn't desire to be happy. What you really need is joy. And they've drawn this distinction between joy and happiness. So as I was reading this week and studying, the Bible doesn't make that distinction. When the Bible uses words for joy, it's also been translated correctly as happiness or gladness or delight or pleasure. 
There is no distinction. Like joy is this, this thing that it's not really about how you feel. It's not about your emotions. And then happiness is the shallow thing. No, when the Bible talks about happiness and joy, it's used in the same way. So I don't think happiness is a bad thing. It's certainly not evil. Happiness is good. It's a good thing. It's great even. It's a godly thing. Our God is the most happy being in all of everything. God created happiness. He is happiness and joy and delight. He is that in his essence. So to say that we shouldn't want that or desire that is just not true. We're created to experience happiness. You say, well, what about Jesus? Jesus was a man of sorrows. Yeah, that's, that is true. He was. He was a man of sorrows. For a short time in his ministry, he experienced grief, absolutely. But I also think he was immensely happy. Think about this for a second. It says that little children flocked to him in droves, so much so that the disciples were like, hey, we're doing ministry here. Get out of here. We're, we're doing adult things. Get, get out of here. Do children flock to killjoys? Do they flock to crotchety, grumpy old men? No, they don't. They don't. They like happy people. Jesus was a happy person. He was a happy person. You say, well, that's your opinion. Not really. It says, it says as much in the Bible. In Hebrews 1, you can look this up later, Hebrews 1, verses 8 and 9, it quotes from the Psalms. In Psalm 45, 7, and this is in direct re- reference to Jesus Christ, it says that God anointed Jesus with the oil of joy, or another translation could be gladness, or another translation could be happiness. The Lord anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness or happiness more than anyone else, period. More than anyone else, Jesus was the happiest person to live on this earth. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, they know what it means to be happy. They know joy. And God, much like you American mothers, desires for us to be happy. To be happy. To know permanent and unwavering happiness. You say, if that's true, then why is the statement, God just wants me to be happy? Why is that fake news? Why is that a lie? Well, it goes back to the analogy that I used earlier of parents with children. The problem with the fake news headline is that we're just, just. If all you desire for yourself is your own happiness or your own children's happiness, if that's all you think God desires for you, then you've taken a really good thing, happiness is a really good thing, you've taken a really good thing and made it an ultimate thing, which is the definition of idolatry. So what definition of idolatry? See, happiness and joy are great things, but if we pursue them as, as ends of themselves, if we look to pleasure or sex or money or vacations or stuff, houses, careers, rest, happiness, if we look to those things as the meaning of life or the source of the meaning and satisfaction in life, then we, we treat those things as God. We treat those things as God. And when we try to get what only God can give us from something God created, we've made that thing an idol. And we worship that thing rather than God. And so that thing now owns us. That's what's controlling us. And if we have it, then we're happy. The problem is if we lose it, then we're unhappy, right? It's fleeting. It's fleeting. So these things 
can only ever give us superficial happiness, not the permanent or lasting happiness of God. So when we say God just wants me to be happy, it's like saying our moms only exist to give us presents. Only exist to give us presents. The spoiled child who says this shows us what he really loves in that statement. Mom, I only want you to give me presents, right? He shows us that he doesn't really love his mom, he just loves the presents. That's a problem. Now, we all love gifts, but most of us love getting gifts because it points to beyond itself. It shows us that there is someone behind the gift that loves us and cares about us. And that's what happiness is supposed to be like. It is a tremendously good gift, but we can't stop at the gift. We have to move beyond the gift to look at the giver. So it doesn't mean we shouldn't ever be happy. It means we should receive happiness, but receive it as a gift from a God who loves us, who wants to care for us, who wants to give us happiness. So if God wants us to be happy, in his, and he does, in my research, I found that there are over 2,700 verses, 2,700, 2,700 verses in the Bible that refer to joy and gladness, delight, pleasure, happiness, God cares and is committed to our happiness. If that's true, then why are we such chronic failures at finding it? What's our problem? What is going on with us? Could it possibly be that we're looking for it in all the wrong places? To combat this lie, this lie that Satan tells us, which is essentially the only thing that matters in life is your personal happiness. To combat that lie, I want to look at three things from Psalm 1 this morning. The first one is this, where is happiness found? The second one is how do we get it? And when we get it, what does it look like? What does it look like? So if you have your Bibles open up, obviously it's on the screen, you can read it with me. We'll look at Psalm 1 together. It starts like this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so with the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 1 is a psalm about happiness. You say, where? Happiness isn't in that verse, right? Actually, it is. In verse 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Another translation that is as equally as true and accurate would be to say, happy are those who reject the advice of evil people. See, blessed is kind of an old English term that used to have happiness attached to its meaning. When I say blessed or blessed, you don't really think that. So perhaps a more accurate way to translate Psalm 1 today for our modern ears would be the second one. Happy are those who reject the advice of evil people. As Tim Keller pointed out to me this week, he said if Psalm 1 tells us anything, it first and foremost tells us that happiness this side of heaven is possible. It is possible to be happy 
here and now, today, and into eternity. It's possible to be blessed, to live a blessed life, to be glad, joy-filled, to be happy this side of heaven. And some of you need to hear that today. Some of you are depressed and grumpy and anything but happy, and you think that happiness isn't possible or that it's something that God could care less about for you. Some of you today think that faith drains happiness. You think it robs life of all your fun. And that's true if you're a half-committed Christian. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, the half-committed Christian is the most miserable person on earth. He's just enough in the world to be miserable in the presence of God, and he's just enough into God to be miserable in the world. He's just enough in the world to be miserable in the presence of God, and he's just enough into God to be miserable in the world. See, some of us feel like faith is a drain on happiness, and that's our experience, but that's not the message of the Bible. In fact, the Bible is very pro-happiness and says that it is attainable this side of heaven. Psalm 1 speaks to it, which we're going to unpack a little bit more. Romans 8 speaks to this. Isaiah 35.10 and hundreds of other verses all throughout Scripture not only tell us that happiness is possible, but they command it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Be happy in God. Levi Stuckey translation. Philippians 4.4. 4. Isaiah 35.10. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord, you've been bought and paid for. Signed, sealed, delivered by God. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with what? Joy and gladness. Happiness. As John Piper says in Psalm 37.4, he says, delight yourself in the Lord. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. It's a commandment. If you believe thou shalt not commit adultery, murder, any of the ten, if you believe that you ought to follow those, then Piper says you also have to obey the commandment in Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be happy in God. Or Psalm 32.11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous ones. Sout for joy. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. It's a commandment. Serve the Lord with gladness. God is commanding us to be happy in serving him. Be glad, delight yourself in the Lord. Be happy. You see, not only is happiness possible, it's commanded by God. Now, some of you are already thinking, great. Another commandment of God that I fail to live up to. Now, if you're responsible to force this, to stir up these emotions inside of yourself, or if you're responsible to, to make yourself just put a smile on your face and just be happy, then we have a problem. We have a serious problem. These verses would be extremely discouraging. If happiness and joy needed to be manufactured by you or were somehow the product of our outside circumstances, we would be in trouble. But Psalm 1 gives us another metaphor that helps us understand where true, lasting, and enduring happiness come from. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. That person 
is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Verse 3 tells us where lasting happiness is found. It's not something we manufacture and it's not found in our circumstances or our happenings. The psalm gives us a picture of an evergreen tree that sent its roots deep down into the soil. The seasons come and go. The seasons change, meaning the circumstances of life for the Christian and the unchristian are the same. They're completely out of our ability to control, manipulate, or manufacture. Sometimes they're good. It's spring. It's summer. Life is blossoming around us. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's euphoric. It's a season of spring or summer, and sometimes winter comes. Winter comes. Things are dead and lifeless around us. Stuff's breaking. Cars, appliances, jobs, your body. Stuff breaks down. Psalm says the seasons come and go, and the tree feels the seasons. It's not like it's isolated from it, like you, you get this umbrella of God and you just, you just never feel life. That's not true. You feel the seasons of life. But your happiness, your joy, your life is not tied to the seasons. The life of God is nourishing you through those times, giving you happiness, contentment, gladness, joy, irrelevant of what's going on around you. doesn't mean you're not affected by the seasons, but it means you're not controlled by them. You're not controlled by them. The source of life and happiness and joy is the everlasting and never-ending God of the Bible. Now, this metaphor is super, super helpful. And if you want to read more about it, go to Jeremiah 2 or Jeremiah 17. Write that down if you're taking notes. Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 17. Both places speak of God as a never-ending fountain of joy and happiness, a fountain of living water, the source of happiness. And the problem is, Jeremiah 2 says that instead of putting our roots deep down into God, building our house on the rock, we go and we dig empty wells. We run after happiness and other things which makes us like chaff, as the psalm tells us. We're like chaff that's blown away, which means all of our pursuits for happiness apart from God end in emptiness and unfulfillment. Think about that for a moment. When has any pursuit of happiness apart from God left you feeling happy and fulfilled, content? As Randy Alcorn puts it, he says, of course there are fleeting pleasures in sin. Of course there's fleeting pleasures in sin. That's why sin's a problem. It feels good for a second, right? An injection of heroin, an immoral act, can bring moments of pleasure, but not deep and lasting happiness. Sin can, for a short term, make us happy, but it won't leave us happy. Happiness apart from God is not enduring. It's fleeting and therefore, it's meaningless because it can go away as quickly as it came. Someone teaches us that lasting and enduring happiness is possible, but only if it's found in God. He is the ultimate source of never-ending, soul-satisfying happiness. You see, God cares about your happiness, but he doesn't just care only about your happiness. People who say, God just wants me to be happy, 
They usually say that to justify something that the, to justify them doing something that the Bible prohibits. Well, I know God says don't have sex before marriage, but God just wants me to be happy, so it's not that big of a deal. Well, I know God says don't get a divorce, but God just wants me to be happy, so I'm not going to listen to that one. Well, I, I know God says give everything to Caesar because it belongs to Caesar, but these taxes are outrageous and God just wants me to be happy. I know I'm not supposed to lie, but God just wants me to be happy and I can't get ahead in life in this career if I don't tell a couple white lies here and there. So I'm just going to bend the truth a little bit. Hopefully you see the problem. The person that says God just wants me to be happy is not actually worshiping God. They're actually worshiping happiness. And that is what controls how they live. Church, how's that working for our culture? If the pursuit of happiness does not pursue happiness, produce happiness, how can we find it? How's it working for us? It's not. It's not. The statistics on suicide and depression are higher than they've ever been. How is that possible? We have more luxuries in this life than any other generation ever. Ever. Cars, cell phones, refrigerators that store food, a ton amount of selection of food. We have more than any generation ever has ever had, and we are the least happy that we have ever been. What is going on here? The pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, and happiness. It's written into our, our constitution or declaration of independence, one of those things. <laughs> what, what's happening? What's happening? How are we supposed to find happiness? Where is it? Where can we find it? Simply put, worship God as God. Let him set the direction of your life no matter what. If there's something that at first glance you say, boy, I don't know if I like that. Get with the Lord and say, Jesus, help me like that. Because God made you, he designed you to experience happiness, and you can, but only in him. When you desire him above all else, when you delight yourself in him, when you love him, when you follow him, no matter what. It means you can't say, well, God, I'd really like to follow the Ten Commandments and I'd like to listen to what you say here, but as long as it, only makes, as long as it makes me happy. That's the non, non-negotiable. I'm gonna follow you unless I decide this thing isn't gonna make me happy. Then I'm gonna do my own thing here. You can't do that. Not only will it not make you happy, it will lead you to a dead end and to your death, to fleeting pleasures. You say, Levi, that sounds nice. Man, I'd love to be happy in God. I'd really love that, but I don't, I can't, I'm not there. I don't feel that. I'm not even remotely close to that. Some of y'all who are depressed are like, here we go. Another thing that I stink at, that I'm terrible at, another standard of a God that I can't live up to, that is works mentality. That is not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus says, I know you're a mess, I know your chronic failures when it comes to finding joy and happiness, 
I know you can't stir up the emotions. I know you don't even want me. That you're running away from me. You're running after the pursuit of happiness. I know you're looking for it. You don't even have any idea what you're looking for. I know all of that about you. And that's why I'm going to come. Because I'm going to save you from yourself. So church, the beauty of the gospel is, is saying, I can't find happiness. I'm not happy in the Lord. I'm not happy in anything. Lord, I, I don't even want to know you. I don't even want to delight myself in you. The beauty of the gospel is that you can come and all you have to do is say, help me, Jesus. Jesus, I want to want you. I don't right now. I wish my heart longed for you more than sex. I wish my heart longed for you more than drugs. I wish my heart longed for you more than it did than the love and affection of my children. I want that, but I can't manufacture it. Will you go to work on my heart? Will you change me? My heart is broken, and I can't change it. I need a transplant. Do surgery, cut it out, and put a new one in it. If you will make that your prayer, that is what it means to go to the Lord as your fountain of living water. All the other stuff is digging empty cisterns. You're digging your own grave, looking for water. Jesus says, stop digging. Come to me. Ask me for help. Invite me to change your heart. That's why I died. That's why I died. If you will make that your prayer, he will change your heart. You will begin to delight in the things that God delights in. You will begin to delight in the law of the Lord, in following him, in obeying him, not because God says so, but because it makes you happy, because it gives you pleasure and joy. That's how this works. That's how it works. So that's how we get happiness. You say, how? You pray. And you make that your prayer. God, I don't want this. I know I should, but I don't. Would you change my heart? Help me love what you love. Help me love what you love. Which brings me to the last point that I want to make this morning. When we get this happiness, when we start to experience it, what does it look like? How do we know when we've received it? Well, say it looks like laughter and smiles and joy, and glad feelings. But it's not euphoria. It's more of a contented feeling of gladness. You're content, like the song that we sang this morning. Set a fire in my heart. I want more of you. I'm content with more of God. Yeah, life's crazy. My family's been sick for eight days, and it's been, it's been rough. <laughs> it's not been fun. But I'm still happy. I'm happy in Jesus. I don't want this season to continue forever, but I'm content I'm content with my life because I know God. I have God. Happiness is fulfillment and satisfaction. Now, it doesn't mean that there's always smiles and laughter. It doesn't mean that you'll never experience pain or suffering. But if you've received the happiness of God, true happiness, not the world's superficial happiness, if you've received the happiness of God, you will predominantly carry with you a contented feeling of gladness in your heart. This is way more than just be positive or positive thinking. It's a conviction, it's a conviction that the reality of heaven and the truth of Jesus, it makes your heart delighted, delighted. It's the ability to enjoy every moment in life that is good as a gift. 
And instead of saying, I hope this lasts forever, and then running around like a chicken in your head cut off to, with his head cut off to make that moment last forever, instead of that, you live with a contented feeling and a conviction knowing that because you know Jesus, that glimpse of heaven that you're experiencing is gonna last forever. That God is gonna take that memory, he's gonna seal it, it's gonna last forever, and it's only gonna get better from here. Randy Alcorn puts it like this, true happiness, the kind God wants for us, is not, pa- is not pasting on s- false smiles in the midst of heartache. It's discovering a reasonable, attainable delight in Christ that transcends difficult circumstances. And this desire is attainable because it's built on God. Until Christ completely cures us in this world, our happiness will always be punctuated by sorrow. But that doesn't mean we can't be predominantly happy in Christ. I mentioned Romans 8 a little bit earlier as as a section of scripture that speaks to Christian happiness. For me, it's one of the most instructive passages out there on how to be happy in God. And it gives us three truths that if you will preach them to yourself on a daily basis, you will be more happy. In verses 28 through 30, Tim Keller sums up what these, what these um, truths are. He says, if you want to be happy in Christ, preach these truths to yourself regularly. The first truth is this from verse 28. This is Romans 8, verse 28. The truth is this. In Christ, bad things turn out for good. Always. If you are in Jesus, any pain, suffering, bad thing that you are currently experiencing, God will repurpose, redeem, reuse, recycle for your good. For your good. In Christ, bad things turn out for good. That is true. 100% true. Verse 29, in Christ, good things are never lost. They're never lost talks about how we're predestined in God. And he didn't bring that up to confuse us or to get us to debate about if we choose God or he chooses us. The point of what Paul is writing there, he's saying, in Christ, God has a plan for you. You are sealed. You are sealed. And all the good things that you experience will never be lost because your purpose, your destination is done. It's done. It's sealed. You are predestined. In Christ, good things are never lost. That's true. 100%. And lastly, this is from verse 30. In Christ, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Bad things turn out for good. Good things are never lost. And in Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. If you will dwell on those verses, on those truths as Psalm 1 tells us, delight yourself in the Lord, meditate on his word day and night, preach it to yourself. All bad things, God's working it for good. Good things are never lost. It's never lost. And this is hard, but the best is yet to come. Or this is beautiful, and it's only gonna get better. It's only gonna get better. Happiness is possible, church. It is. God desires that you would find it in him, not the seasons of life. If you turn to him, receive forgiveness, be reconciled to him, you will be connected to the eternal fountain of happiness. He will turn all bad things out for your good. 
He will save all good things in your life so that they're never lost and it's only gonna get better from here. Church, it is not an overstatement to say that the reason Jesus went to the cross was to establish never-ending happiness in his heart and in ours. Jesus offers us more than happiness, but certainly not less than that. Are you happy this morning? You can be in Jesus. Psalm 1 lays out two different paths, the way of sin or the way of Jesus. The way of sin leads to dead ends, diminishing returns, and fleeting pleasures. The way of Christ leads to enduring happiness and joy no matter what life throws at you. Which way will you go? If you're not happy this morning, perhaps it's time you try looking for happiness in God and his word. And know this, happiness is not the goal. Pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, not the goal. It's not the goal, it's a byproduct. If you focus on finding happiness, you never will. You never will. But if you focus on God, and focus all your attention on loving him and knowing him, you will be made more happy than you can imagine. God doesn't want you to just be happy. He wants you to know him, to glorify him, and obey him, and love him. And that will result in your happiness. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the message of your Bible. Lord, thanks that <clears throat> you created us to be happy. That this desire that we have, this unsatiable desire that we have to find happiness, thank you for that. It's a God-sized hole in our heart. Would you be the one to fill it? Lord, there are many good things in this life. Would you help us not to stop with the good things? Would you help us not to make gods out of the good things? Would you help us to receive the good gifts that you want to give us as gifts that point beyond themselves to you as the good and gracious God who has the source of happiness and fulfillment and love? Make us a glad people. Help us delight in your word, Lord. And I'll just confess that a lot of days, I don't feel it. A lot of days, a lot of things grab my attention, grab my love, grab my affection, fulfill my desire to be happy more than you. Forgive us, Lord, when we turn to lesser things. Help us never be satisfied in those lesser things. Help us only be satisfied in you. Make us happy, Jesus. For your glory, we pray. Amen.